Hello and welcome to session 30 of You Matter. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of You Matter, where I'll be talking to Sarah Price, expert in PR and founder of two companies, um, initially a PR company and more recently a company called Actually for entrepreneurs who are purpose-led and want to make a difference in the world. I invited Sarah onto this episode to um, to satisfy a great thirst that I detect amongst my community around the idea of visibility or more specifically discomfort around visibility. It's something I hear an awful lot, people recognising that they need to be visible because they want to promote their services, grow their business, um, tell people about what they do. But for a lot of people, there's... Um, there's either a strong level of discomfort or there's a fluctuating level of comfort that they they want to address. So Sarah was the ideal person to have a, a chat uh, to a chat to about all this stuff. So sit back, have a listen. I hope I will at some point in the episode come up with the question that you wanted to ask um, and that the answers will be helpful. There's an awful lot of tips and tricks in this episode uh, and I will be back at the end. So welcome to this latest episode of You Matter. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Sarah Price. And I've invited Sarah for a very specific reason, because she is an absolute expert in the subject I want to talk about today. And if I let you know a little bit about Sarah, it will make sense. So these days, Sarah runs an absolutely fantastic organisation called Actually. And the purpose of actually is to support purpose-led entrepreneurs who want to make a difference in the world. Um, and I always, whenever I hear Sarah doing her spiel, it sounds to me like um, entrepreneurs who actually give a damn and want to make a difference in the world. And I love that concept. And I've done some of Sarah's programs myself, and she's really helped me with my own business. But with the topic of this session in mind of visibility, Sarah's 26 year history prior to actually is incredibly relevant because she worked in PR and marketing and um, actually formed, you, you were a, a partner in a company, weren't you, Sarah, uh, in, yeah. in London for 26 years. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that company because it's, it's relevant to this conversation. Sure. So we actually started that company, it's called Pagefield. Um, it's an independent communications agency. And we started it back in the teeth of the post-global meltdown. Mm -hmm. So back in 2010. Before that, I worked in politics. I worked in advertising. I worked um, for UNICEF. I was a political advisor for UNICEF. I worked in the transport sector, always in communications or campaigning or marketing. Um, but after a while, I got to that point where I was like, I don't, I don't want to work for other people anymore, you know. Uh, so a very good friend of mine, Mark and I, we left some very stable, very well-paid jobs mm -hmm. um, and very senior jobs in the middle of a global recession. Uh, everybody thought we were mad and started Pagefield. And that business is now employing about 40 to 50 people. It's, um, it's a multi-million pound PR and communications agency. And we work with people like British Airways, um, Kellogg's, Avon, Airbnb, you know, really big brands, but also smaller brands. So we launched Starling Bank, for example. We work with quite a few fintech type companies. 
um, and with individuals. And everything that we do in that business is about helping people to get their voices heard, helping people to be more visible to the audiences that really matter to them, which is similar to what I do in Actually. It's just that within Actually, I do it, as you said, for purpose-led small business owners, small entrepreneurs, startup businesses, because in the same way that after 20 odd years in-house, I just got tired of working for other people. Um, after nearly 30 years in total in my career, I got to the point where I just didn't really care all that much mm. if Kellogg sold more cornflakes. Um, so, you know, if people are in business solely to make money, I have no judgment on that, go for your life. But I wanted to work with people who were committed to making a difference. And so that's, as you say, that's what I do in Actually. So nearly 30 years, which makes me feel very old, mm -hmm. um, of pretty much every aspect of uh, political campaigning, policy campaigning, communications, marketing, PR, and advising businesses and individuals on how to show up, be more visible, and be heard. Brilliant. Thanks, Sarah. And with my audience, that purpose-led side of things is really relevant. So a lot of the audience will be business owners, people running their own clinics, sole practitioners. Um, but even if they're not, they'll still, I'm sure they would still class themselves as purpose-led because they went into a caring profession, um, want to support people, want the world to be a better place. Do you do you see any relationship having having had your previous life and then formed actually and started working with this slightly different group? Do you think there's any relationship between being purpose led and being less comfortable with visibility? It's an interesting question. Um, yes and no. So there are a couple of challenges, I think, for purpose-led business owners, um, particularly those at the very early stages or with relatively small businesses that you tend not to see in more established corporate businesses. Mm. Um, and one of them is that the desire to pursue purpose, to make a difference, to be of service will quite often have them sacrifice their own well-being, whether that's financial or, or physical, and, and do things that make them uncomfortable or try and force themselves to do things that make them uncomfortable in service of that purpose, in service of that bigger mm. vision. Um, and I see that quite a lot amongst the people that I work with. You know, they are passionate about making a difference to their to their clients to their communities to the world as a as a whole um and so you know they overgive, they over deliver they they really do kind of sacrifice themselves um and and they do things that other people tell them they should do in order to be successful that actually don't make them feel good you know that that, that make them feel uncomfortable the other thing that, that I see, which is a difference, and it comes to speaks directly to this visibility point, is most people who start a purpose-led business start it because they're passionate about one of three things, right? They're either passionate about a problem that they want to solve, or they're passionate about a specific product or service, or they're passionate about a particular group of people, 
right? Mm-hmm. They, they desperately want to help teenagers with dyslexia, or I really want to, you know, solve the problem of plastics in the ocean, right? They're passionate about something that's driven them to start that business. For most people, and in your audience, everybody, I suspect, they're not starting a business because they're passionate about marketing or because they're passionate about PR. And, you know, up until this point in my career, nearly everybody I worked with was, you know, mm-hmm. everybody who worked in my business in Pagefield, they were all passionate about PR and communications and campaigning. Um, you know, I worked in big teams in-house of communications professionals and for big organizations that understood the centrality of communications and campaigning and PR to the success of their businesses. But when you work with solo entrepreneurs and small business owners, they didn't start the business because they're passionate about communications and marketing. And for a lot of them, it's the necessary evil. Mm -hmm. And it's the thing that makes them feel most uncomfortable about their business. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And um, I'm nodding internally all the time. Um, (laughs) So how do you how do you approach this? Um, I'm just in, in my head, I'm thinking, so do you know, do we try and find the passion or do you try and find different ways for this group? So bad news first, right? There is no version of growing your business that does not involve visibility of some kind, right? There is no, I'm, I am a rebellious optimist, like one of my core characteristics is rebellious optimism and so if I can find a positive spin for something I will and if I can fly in the face of perceived wisdom I will absolutely do it but I'm also very very honest and honestly there is no way to grow a business that doesn't involve being visible in some way Mm. the problem that I think most purpose-led entrepreneurs face is that they're trying to squeeze themselves into approaches and strategies that were never designed for them in the first place. So they see, you know, the the business gurus, the marketing mentors, the, you know, the top trainers who say, oh, here are seven steps to social media success, or here's how to shuffle dance on TikTok, or use LinkedIn to generate a million leads for your business. And they go, right, that's what I have to do. And so they go and they do the workshop or they do the training or they, you know, they go and join the membership and they try and squeeze themselves into a form of visibility that doesn't actually work for them, that doesn't make them comfortable. Mm. And and the reason why that's problematic is, A, not only does it make you really uncomfortable because you're you're trying to squeeze your star-shaped self into this little round hole and going, I don't enjoy this. So not only does it make you feel uncomfortable and therefore sucks some of the joy out of your business I'm all about business being joyful and there's nothing that will undermine joy faster than trying to do stuff that makes you really uncomfortable but it also actually is ultimately very unsuccessful and ineffective because if you are uncomfortable in with the way that you're marketing and promoting your business then you kind of create like an energetic barrier between you and the people you're trying to reach and they can tell so you know when I when I do interviews like this or when I deliver content from stage people can tell that I love it right I love doing this stuff I love it I enjoy it I'm very passionate about it but I don't know I'm trying to think of something else that 
if you said to me, okay, the only way that you can promote or market your business, Sarah, is, I don't know, is shuffle dancing on TikTok. (laughs) I, I would have serious issues with that. Because, well, first of all, as you and I both know, I have massive mobility issues with my legs. So shuffle dancing is just not 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 a, a non-starter for me. But also, although I'm really happy doing things like this, I actually don't like video. I don't like little mini videos of myself. Ugh, horrible. So that would make me really uncomfortable. Um, and your audience can tell when you're uncomfortable. They can feel it and they feel it on your behalf. And there's nothing that will make people scroll through social media faster than somebody who looks and feels and sounds uncomfortable. Mm. So one of the things that I do with people is I try and help them to understand what their natural strengths are. I call them their marketing superpowers, the things that that actually they feel most comfortable doing. And then build your marketing strategy around that. Don't try and force yourself into somebody else's approach because it may have worked for them but it doesn't mean it will work for you and what might be the the niche things that people might not have thought of because off the top of our heads we can probably all think okay well I could make videos I could write blogs I could write a book um I could go and do talks with people are there any sort of really unusual methods that have worked for people who perhaps were less comfortable with the more obvious ways of marketing themselves that's a really good question um I suspect that a lot of the people in your community have what I call the superpower of perception. Mm -hmm. This is the marketing superpower that coaches tend to have, that um, care providers tend to have. It is uh, it is the superpower of networkers and networkers, by the way, don't network because they love to talk. They network because they love to listen. And they're brilliant at building one-to-one rapport and deep understanding of people very quickly. And I suspect lots of people in your audience will fall into that category. Mm. They may be sitting there going, oh, my God, but I hate networking events. Quick reframe. Networking event is just an opportunity to have lots of one-to-one conversations. And if you think about it that way, much easier to get through than thinking I'm going to walk into a room of 50 strangers. Oh, my God, how horrific. Um. So one of the things that I talk to people a lot about is, okay, if that's your superpower, if one-to-one conversation is um, is how you, uh, where you feel most comfortable and you excel, then devise your marketing to get people into one-to-one conversation with you. So for example, um, I'm just thinking about something that I do, right? So I run Facebook ads because my community is primarily on Facebook. Um, So I run Facebook ads to this quiz that teaches people about their marketing superpowers and what they are. And then off the back of that, they'll get an email from me and they'll get at some point an invitation to say, why don't you just book a call and have a chat with me? Hmm. Um, Now it's a really standard form of marketing, but it's the end point that matters. You know, instead of asking them to come to a big event where I'm going to speak on a stage or come to this big workshop where I'm going to deliver some content or, you know, buy my book or whatever, it's come and have a one to one conversation with me. Same with email marketing. Um, You know, we see these kind of, you know, long 
28 day sequences of daily emails from people where you're supposed to share every single aspect of your entire life, which if writing prose is not your marketing superpower, you're not going to enjoy that at all. One of the things I've seen being really successful quite recently is really short emails, like one paragraph max, where you are inviting somebody to get into conversation with you. Mm -hmm. So you say, I've been thinking about X, Y, Z. Let's say, I don't know. Um, I've been thinking about how much I enjoy in-person conversation with people. I've freed up some time in my diary. I've opened up three slots for X, Y, for for one-to-one VIP days. Um, If that sounds of interest, drop me a line. And they're encouraging people to just hit reply and get into conversation Mm. Um, rather than let's do a 28 day sequence of emails where, you know, oh my gosh, which, you know, for me, prose is one of my superpowers. I love to write. I love words. I could write a 28 day email sequence, you know, in my sleep. But if prose isn't your thing, then those short, sharp emails that then get people into conversation with you can really work. Mm, Yeah. And I'm thinking there maybe, you know, if you know that those 28 day emails really annoy the hell out of you, then you're not going to be able to be passionate about delivering that in somebody else's inbox, are you? Exactly. This idea of um, perception, which, yes, I'm sure most people um, listening would identify uh, with or describe themselves as perceptive, empathic, curious Mm. and good listeners. I'm wondering also, as well as drawing people into the conversation, uh, the one-to-one conversation where they can really display that skill, I'm wondering whether it can be used in the actual writing phase as well. And just thinking about those posts that you read where you think, oh yes, that just those three words or that sentence that got me or they they understand me. Um, you know, I wonder whether the more perceptive types might be quite good at if they really give themselves the time and trust themselves, trust their instincts. Yeah. They might be the ones that can find those those great little lines. 100%. Um, you know, one of the other things that I teach is um, is about the foundations of business. So if, if you're having trouble marketing and promoting your business, it's usually for one of two reasons. One is you're trying to do it in ways that are completely inauthentic and uncomfortable for you, which we sort of talked about. Mm. The other is you don't have the right foundations in place. You don't have the right building blocks. And there are there are 12 building blocks. Let's not go through all of them. But the one that you're talking about is people, um, is, is that deep understanding of your ideal client. And everybody talks about it. You know, everybody's since time immemorial in communications and marketing, people have said, you know, the first rule of great communications, know your audience. Um, every business owner out there and every person listening to this to this interview, I suspect, has been told at some point and knows deep down that they really need to understand their ideal client in order to be able to communicate with them, market with them, but also in order to devise products and approaches and services that their ideal clients really want and need. Mm. And yet most people don't do it. They don't do that work. The people who have high levels of perception are probably the most likely to have done it. They just don't necessarily think about it as ideal client research. Mm. And so it's just about bringing mindfulness and conscious conscious thought 
to the sorts of conversations you're probably having all the time anyway and making notes and and keeping an eye I used to have a, a notebook I don't have it anymore but I used to have a notebook where I wrote down every question that a client ever asked me really um every issue that a client raised with me every challenge that they said they had in their business and then little phrases that that really sort of summarized the challenges that they were facing or the dreams that they have or the aspirations and the hope that they have because that way as you say you can play that back in your marketing use that perception use that deep understanding of who they are Mm. and what they want what they need what they dream about what's holding them back and the language that they use to describe it use that in your marketing and you will massively improve the effectiveness of it because Mm. people will have those moments where they go it's like you're in my head yes yeah and actually you just flipped something that was going on in my head then um I was thinking of a little question I ask myself when I'm creating things I'll often write something and I'll read it back and I'll go would you have actually said that would you use those words are those your words or are they just jargon or something you read from somebody else but yes there's this other probably more powerful point of are they the words that the person I'm talking to would use and that's a really good tip having the um the notebook have you stopped because you got so many repeats that you felt you captured everything yeah (laughs) and also now um when people join my Facebook group we ask them two or three questions, one of which is, what's the biggest challenge you face in your business right now? Um, and we capture all of that. So really, I've just automated quite a lot of it. Yeah. But after 30 years in communications and marketing, I've, I have pretty much got to the point where I've, I've heard most questions yeah. um, and I've heard most challenges. But I still make notes every now and again. If somebody says something really just in a really nice way with a really succinct turn of phrase, I'll still note that down and go, oh, do you mind if I use that? Yeah, just a little quirky one. Mm. So talking of the things people say a lot, um, there are a couple of things that I hear a lot from clinicians around marketing. Um, Mm. One of them is around the idea of showing off, um, Mm. which you know, I know that the, the human race, there's a large element of the human race that has been told not to show off and has an aversion to uh, appearing that way. But it seems to be particularly strong with clinicians and, and a particular sort of slant on it in that you don't show off, you don't talk about what you do, you get on with the job, you know, get your head down, treat your patients, do what you're trained for, stop talking about it. People that talk about it aren't doing it, basically. Um, so it's a lot of judgment around that in the, yeah. in the clinical world. Does that does that make sense to you? Do you hear it from other people? Yeah, I'm just scribbling down a note for myself of something to come back to. Um, showing off. Okay, so the kind of advertising and marketing where you wander around, jazz hands, look at me, I'm amazing, um, is not only going to make most people feel uncomfortable delivering but actually I don't think is particularly effective anymore Mm. anyway um because for me marketing marketing has to do two things at the same time it's a really interesting balancing act it has to reflect you and who you are and it has to resonate with and appeal to them your your ideal clients 
Now, most people think of marketing as broadcasting. You know, they think of it as I go out there and I say and I do and I tell and I speak and I shout and I jazz hands, right? But the reality is marketing should always be a conversation. It should always be as much about them as it is about you. Mm. So rather than think about it as showing off, here am I, this is what I'm doing, I'm amazing, Um, look at all this experience I've got, look at all these things that I can do. Instead, think about it as how can you demonstrate empathy and understanding for the people that you want to work with? How can you demonstrate that you understand their wants, their needs, their aspirations, hopes and dreams? You know, how can you demonstrate that you get their challenges? That's not showing off. That's empathy on Mm. display, essentially. Mm. Um, And that will draw people towards you much more effectively than, hi, I'm amazing. Do you know how amazing I am? Let me tell you how amazing I am. Mm. Um, so, So first of all, I think if you make that shift to talk about them much more than you talk about yourself, that helps it to feel a bit less show-offy. But it is also actually remarkably much more effective. You know, if you think about normal conversation, day-to-day conversation, meeting somebody at the pub or, you know, in in a social setting, if you went into that conversation and said, hi, my name's Sarah Price and I'm the founder of Actually, and can I just tell you, I've got 30 years experience in communications and I am absolutely amazing at what I do. Let me just tell you about this client that I've been with. La, 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 la. The person standing there would be looking for the exit within 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. And yet most people approach marketing that way. Why? Why would you do that to somebody? Why would you subject them to that? So instead, focus on them. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is if the whole concept of marketing, irrespective of what you're saying, right, irrespective of whether you're talking about them or talking about yourself, if the whole concept of marketing marketing feels like showing off to mm. you um, and it's just like, you know, I, I should just get on with the job and let the results speak for themselves and, you know, da, da, da. then I, I'm going to have to challenge you on this one. Not you personally, but anyone who feels this. You went into the work that you do in order to be of service, in order to help people. If nobody knows that you exist, you cannot help them. Mm. Marketing is simply a tool to enable you to fulfill your purpose, to enable you to be of service to more people. And, you know, I I did a sort of tough love session with a client the other day who, who really struggles with visibility. I have this belief that your clients are your clients. There are people out there in the world that you can help, that you can really make a difference for. And probably only you can really, truly help them, right? Because there's a personality match, there's a chemistry match, there's a skills and needs match, you know, the whole package. Just like people go to, I don't know, I probably went to about four different coaches before I found the one that was right for me. Mm. And so I was having this conversation with a client the other day. And she was like, oh, you know, I don't like getting visible. And I don't like, like, look, if we work on the basis that your clients are your clients, right? They're out there and they are waiting for you. And they may be working with somebody else right now who's not right for them and is therefore not really delivering the results. I have only one question for you. 
how long are you going to make them wait? Mm. Because until you get visible, until you put yourself in their path, until you show up for them, you are making them wait. And you're putting the onus on them to try and find you in the vast morass of people out there that are going, me, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me. Mm -hmm. So unless you're prepared to, to show up, you're just making those people that are destined to work with you, those people that you can help and be of service to, wait. And that seems like the very opposite of the passion and the desire that got you into this in the first place. Mm -hmm. You didn't get into this to make people wait. You got into it to make, to help them. I think that will really help a lot of people. It certainly helps me to hear that. Um, and I actually don't have a huge problem with visibility, but yeah, to be able to picture those individuals, it was that line you said that, you know, you, you can help them and possibly only you, this idea that there's no portal at the moment from you to them. And, it, and the only way to open that portal is to, to, start doing a little Show bit of, yeah marketing and, and make yourself visible that's great we've Thanks. all had that experience haven't we of you know we we kind of go expert shopping you know we've got x problem whatever x problem might be mm. and you know there are lots of physiotherapists in the world there are lots of there are lots of osteopaths in the world there are lots of doctors there are lots of whatever um but you know we've all had that experience of going to someone and it's just not quite right Mm -hmm. just mm, they're not listening quite right or we just don't meld together very well or you know they just don't seem to be making the difference that I want them to make that's because they're not your person and if your person is hiding under a rock pretending that you know I'm, I'm never going to get visible then it's really hard to find them yeah and that may may cover the the next issue I was going to talk about mm. which is um the overriding um prevalence of perfectionism amongst clinicians um and you know quite obviously that we don't limit that to our clinical world we limit it to everything we do including everything we put out you know there's this idea of being seen and then there's when i put something out what if it's not perfect mm. and probably too many um subjects in one question so feel free to break it down <laughs> but this thing specifically about peers what if I put something out that isn't perfect and one of my clinical peers jumps on it and points that out? That'll kill it for me and I'm never going to be visible ever again. I hear versions yeah. of that. Yeah. So we've got perfectionism, comparisonitis and fear of criticism and judgment all in the yeah, same. Quite a lot in one question. Yeah. <laughs> but but really the essence of all of that is fear. Mm. Um, and... And, and I see this a lot. Um, so I'm just in the process. I've declared September starting a business month. So I'm putting together a whole raft of content for this for this month, which is all about starting a business and, and the things you need to have in place when you start a business. And I talk in, in one of the um, podcast episodes I'm about to release about um, the mindset shifts that you need to make as you start a business, the three most important mindset shifts. And one of them is taking a different approach to fear because when I talk to people who are starting a business or or who want to get more visible and grow their business the thing that I hear more than anything else is fear fear of failure fear of judgment fear of getting it wrong fear of looking like an idiot fear of being criticized fear of being too successful 
fear of burning themselves out. Fear, 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 fear. I mean, just like fear. And again, bad news. There is no version of starting, growing and promoting a business that doesn't involve some fear somewhere along the lines. Mm -hmm. There's no version of starting, growing or promoting a business that does not involve getting it wrong at some point. Um, So I try and encourage people to have a different approach to fear, whether that's fear um, of failure or fear of judgment, whatever fear it is, take a different approach to it because you can't actually eliminate fear. Mm. In my opinion, right? there may be coaches out there who disagree with me, but in my opinion, you can't eliminate fear. It's about how you process it, deal with it and what you do afterwards. So I say to people, look, first of all, you're only afraid because it matters, right? You're only afraid because you care. If you didn't care, you wouldn't be afraid. So first of all, take it as a positive sign that you're doing what you're meant to be doing. You're doing what you're truly here to do. Because if you weren't, and this was just a job you were fairly indifferent about, the fear would be, if they're at all, very, very minimal, because you don't care. Mm. So fear is really just a sign that this is important to you, Um, which is also why there's no version of starting and growing your own business that doesn't involve some degree of fear. Secondly, another thing that I say to all of my clients is um, everything in business and in marketing is just an experiment. Everything. Even those hugely successful marketers, even those people with multi-million pound businesses, even those people like me who've done 30 years in communications and marketing, we are still experimenting right? Mm. every single day. And by definition, if you're running experiments, some of them aren't going to work. Some of them won't work. So if you can accept that, if you can accept that everything is just an experiment and some of those experiments won't work and you learn just as much from the ones that don't work as you do from the ones that go brilliantly, then again, that kind of helps to alleviate the fear slightly. It's if you accept that it's inevitable, that something's not going to work out, then it kind of makes it slightly easier to cope with. Mm. Um, the other thing that I say to people is, you know, one of the, the perfectionism, and, and actually, I went to an event a few years ago, and it was something that Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer, said mm-hmm. at this event. She said, perfectionism is just fear in a fur coat and high heels. Yes, I've heard that line too. Right? <laughs> so perfectionism is just fear. If you are a perfectionist, it's actually the same as being afraid of judgment, being afraid of criticism, being afraid of, of failing. Really, that's what perfectionism is. Um, so tackle the fear and the perfectionism will become easier to deal with. Let go of the fear of judgment and the fear of criticism. Recognize everything's just an experiment and the uh, and the, and the, the perfectionism will become less. Mm. Um, and there's one last piece that I teach people. I mainly talk about this in the context of speaking, public speaking and presenting, because as you can imagine, well, as you probably know, uh, I think it's only second to death as most people's mm, greatest the holy fear. Grail, isn't it? <laughs> so, oh my God, public speaking. so I have to deal with people who are terrified of public speaking all the time. And one of the things that I talk to them about is the fact that physiologically in your system, fear and excitement are very, very similar things. Fear and arousal are very similar things as well, by the way, if you think about the physiological symptoms. So, you know, 
sweaty palms and slightly flushed cheeks and, you know, slightly shaky voice. And that's butterflies in your stomach, you know, racing heart. That's how you feel when you're excited Mm. as well as when you're afraid. And the real difference between those two physiological sensations is the label we apply to them. So depending on the circumstances, I'm, I don't know, um, thinking of something that that I would find really exciting. Um, I'm about to go sailing with some friends, right? I'm really excited. Um, Because of the context, I call that excitement. But the physiological symptoms are almost identical to fear. So I just choose to call it excitement rather Mm. than calling it fear. Whereas if you're about to go on stage in front of 2000 people and deliver a speech, you have the same physiological symptoms, but you call it fear. Mm. And one of the things that I teach people to do is reframe fear as excitement. So when you feel those physiological symptoms, instead of focusing on the fear, focus on the excitement not I'm terrified I'm going to make an idiot of myself on stage but I'm excited to be here and be of service to as many people as possible Mm. and what that does is it also helps you to shift your focus because fear is about you and the simplest easiest way to get out of fear is to stop focusing on you and start focusing on them so stop thinking I'm going to look like an idiot. I'm going to be made to feel silly. I'm going to trip over and, and, and over my own feet. I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to be judged. Instead of thinking about you, focus on the people that you're here to be of service to, that you're here to help, that you're here to, to make a contribution towards. And the excitement and passion that you feel about working with them. I I think you've done that so beautifully throughout this conversation Sarah just turned that lens you know the the fear of visibility is so much about me isn't it what's it mean about me what am I going to say what will people think about me and you've just beautifully illustrated how turning the lens the other way just flips visibility there is no visibility issue because the visibility is on the person and the audience that you're talking to not not you that's a really helpful concept you reminded me of a book I'm reading at the moment when you were talking about um when you feel fear it's because you care um I'm reading a book called bittersweet at the moment by Susan Kane um she wrote uh her first book was quiet um it was a book about introversion I think the the mm. subheading was um you know uh, for introverts in a world where people can't stop talking it was a fantastic book and but this one um there was a an advertising line that spoke to me and said if you're someone who listens to sad music all the time and you're really drawn to it you don't know why and it doesn't make you feel sad then Mm. this book is for you and I was like yeah yeah that's that's definitely me and she she says a very similar thing in the early chapters she says where you suffer is where you care Mm. um and she talks a lot about sadness and melancholy um Mm you know I guess that fits in with the sad music but you know both those emotions alongside fear not being things that you particularly tell people you're feeling you don't if someone asks you how you are you don't say I'm sad or I'm melancholy do but I love that idea of um just noticing that you are feeling something strongly and then looking at the label you have chosen to put on it um maybe flipping it maybe not I mean the other half is just to go yeah I feel fear because I really care and I'm, I'm actually really cool with that um, yeah. So I will stay with it 
and uh, that's good. <laughs> See what there's, happens. There's something else in there as well, which is that fear often, our, our automatic response to feeling fear is to try and run away from it. Mm. You know, we try and run away from it. We try and quash it or suppress it or ignore it or, you know, and, um, um, I was talking to a client the other day and I said, okay, wh what if we did something different here? What if instead of trying to ignore the fear or distract ourselves from it or, you know, what if you turned around and faced it and had a conversation with it? Right? What if you what if you thought about what does this fear have to teach me? What does it need? What's what's this fear about, really? Um, and, you know, have a kind of almost have a conversation with the fear because quite often and this is um undoubtedly a concept that i've stolen from a coaching program or or some you know much wiser guru than me um but quite often i think fear comes from an experience that we've had at some point in our life so you know i think we live in an incredibly judgmental society and so the fear of criticism the fear of being judged probably comes from an experience probably quite early in our life where we were judged harshly mm. criticized unfairly and it and it embedded itself in our psyche and over time became a fear became I don't want to repeat that horrible experience that I had and so there's this tiny part of us you know might be five years old might be eight years old might be 12 years old that that is cowering because of that experience and is desperately trying to avoid having a similar experience in the future. Mm. And I think there's something to be said for turning around and facing that fear and going, okay, first of all, um, what, do you, what do you need to feel safe right now? What do you need in order to, to let go of this fear? Uh, what do you need? What do you want me to learn here? You know, is this about better protecting myself, but without setting immovable boundaries that mean that, you know, walls of steel that mean I never get out there into the world like what what else can we do to make you feel safe mm. but also with love and compassion I'm a grown-up now and I'm not going to allow the fears of a child to run and dictate my life and the way I approach my business so how can we work together to overcome this mm. and that's and, sorry go on go on I was going to say that sounds like an internal conversation and takes us right back to when you were talking about people trying to do things that make them feel uncomfortable or being told to do things that make them feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that conversation you've just had with yourself makes so much sense. Like, no, absolutely not. I'm getting such a strong fear reaction to that particular um, medium. I can't do that. But OK, is there another way? Is there a, is there a version of that that feels challenging? But not completely paralyzing in its discomfort mm -hmm. really really helpful um did you get the thing that you wrote down earlier you said I've, I've written something to make sure I come back no to it was the point about about showing off versus being of service okay um, so I was just scribbling it down so that because I you may have gathered I'm quite gobby <laughs> and I remember a sketch I saw years and years ago um, of Billy Connolly the comedian yeah, And he talks about how he talks a lot and um, his shows always overrun. And he said, the reason that I 
always overrun is he said, you know, I talk a lot. And so I go off on a hundred different tangents and quite often it will take me 20 minutes of talking to get back to the point that I was trying to make in the very <laughs> beginning via three different stories and 12 anecdotes and, you know, 14 other points. And, and, and I can be a bit the same. So if I know that there's something that I, I have to scribble it down, otherwise I won't come back to it. I just forget. Well, you, you have beautifully led me into the next question that I was going to ask, <laughs> which might have worked better at the beginning, but hey, you know, hey. it's be perfect. Um, the elephant in the room mm. is that you and I are naturally quite gobby. Um, I know you well enough, you know me well enough to know that we are actually quite happy and often quite enjoy being visible. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if clients are brave enough to actually verbalise this to you. I'm trying to think if they are to me, but, you know, there is this thing. I could quite understand people listening to this and going, yeah, but they're doing a podcast episode. They're happy with it. They're fine. They don't get it. Do you get that leveled at you? Um, honestly, not very often. Um because here's the thing about really understanding your natural strengths and your superpowers. So mine are persuasion, which is the star, which is the, you know, stand on stage and talk that that's, you know, I can do that until the cows come home and prose, the writer, you know, I, I can write. I love words. I love the power of words. I could, oh, I have about 27 books that at some point I need to write. So those are my superpowers. Um, but if you try and put me into certain other situations, um, I, I, I will not excel at that. Mm. And they do make me uncomfortable. I don't do them. I talked, uh, you know, a little bit at the beginning about sort of shuffle dancing on TikTok. Absolutely not. I'd rather stick pins in my own eyeballs. Um, so, you know, there are, and I'm very upfront with my community and with my clients, you know, there are things that I don't enjoy. There are things that I don't like about marketing, about visibility, about communications. And that because I remember, I choose not to do them. I just don't do them. Mm. Um, I will never post a video on TikTok. I'm on TikTok. In fact, I'm quite addicted to it secretly. Shh, my guilty I know, pleasure. I've, I've heard you have a little addiction. It's not little anymore. It has to be said. <laughs> Massive. Be taken in. All of my cultural references now come from TikTok. Um, <laughs> I will never post a video on TikTok. I, I, oh my mm. I'd rather do almost anything else. Um, when I worked um, in both advertising and in transport, one of my jobs was I was a media spokesperson. And I would do radio until the cows came home. I would do podcasts with no problem at all. I would speak to journalists, print media journalists. But every time somebody said, come and be on the sofa on Good Morning Britain, I would find somebody else to do it. I couldn't, I uh, hate being on television, hate it. So I get that there are always going to be aspects of communications or marketing or visibility that people feel really deeply uncomfortable with. The difference I think between you and me and, and some others is that they've taken their discomfort about X and they've made it discomfort about visibility as a whole. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm here, to, I'm saying, actually, you're not uncomfortable being visible full stop necessarily. Some people, some people are, and, and they require a lot more help and support. But it, it's being forced to be visible in ways that are uncomfortable for you. That's the problem. So find the thing that works for you 
um, and and focus on that and you will find being visible much easier. Yeah, as with most things, find find the way, the version that works works for you. Yeah, and actually, as you're talking, personally, I'm thinking that even though I am happy doing most things, if I'm honest, because I'm such a good girl and a people pleaser, I will quite often do things that are less comfortable for me. And it's a good lesson for me that, yeah, you you can do all those things and you can really force yourself to do the things you don't like so much. But as you say, even as someone who doesn't mind being visible, you don't have to do everything Mm -hmm. if it's not for you. This is the great joy, one of the great joys, I think, of having your own business, you know, and and this is the thing, it's, it's, I genuinely think that running, having your own business, starting, running, growing your own business is the most fun you can have with your clothes on. (laughs) It can be massively joyful and really fulfilling. It's, and it's a huge privilege to have the opportunity to spend your working days doing something that you feel really, really passionate about. Mm. Um, why would you mar that by by forcing yourself to do things that you feel really uncomfortable doing? Why would you suck the joy out of your business by forcing yourself to do stuff that you're really uncomfortable with? For me, for example, it's leaving aside visibility. VAT returns. Mm-hmm. In fact, pretty much anything to do with finances. Now, I'm good at it because, funnily enough, once upon a time I trained as an accountant. That's a whole other story. Um, so I understand it. I understand PL and balance sheets and management accounts and cash flow forecasting and all the rest of it. And I understand my VAT return. I just hate it. Mm-hmm. And doing it sucks the joy out of my day. Mm just makes me really, really unhappy. So I made decisions when I started my business about, okay, where am I going to prioritize getting support so that I can delegate those things that I really hate to somebody else because they will make me unhappy in my work faster than almost anything else. And so final question, what if that thing, what if somebody else's VAT um, return is marketing? Therefore, they decide, I hate it so much. I've tried every technique that Sarah suggested. I still hate it. Is there a place for outsourcing that? Can anyone ever sell your business for you, sell your services for you? Yes, there absolutely is. And um, and there are, this is why, you know, when I said at the beginning, there's no version of starting and growing a business that doesn't involve some degree of visibility. Um, You can grow a business with visibility that is essentially supported and done for you by others Mm. um so you know get a marketing assistant in get somebody in who's going to create your social media content for you um who you know can can do your search engine optimization for your website can create blogs can put together your advertising you know whatever else it might be um but in a business like yours where people are they buy you Right? They buy you as a person. You're still going to have to show up in mm. some of that, even if it's, let's say, static images of you. Um, so you might get somebody else who writes the copy for your social media or writes the copy for your ads, but it has to have an image of you in it yeah. um, because people have to get a sense of you. They have they're buying you, and the best 
um, copywriters, the best advertising people, the best marketing assistants, the best people who will write blogs or write your website for you, they will spend a lot of time with you capturing your voice. Because that's, again, that's who people mm-hmm. are buying. They're buying mm-hmm. you. They want to know who you are. And they want to, they want to know that you, and, and sorry, the second thing they'll do is they will spend a lot of time delving into and understanding your ideal clients. So the more and the better you can brief them about that, um, the better your, your delegation of marketing will be. So yes, you absolutely can get other people to do it, but it, that is not a, it's not an alternative to visibility. There will be mm. some element of visibility for you in that. And I, I don't know if you'd agree, but I've, I've heard it said that you, even if you are going to do that, don't do it until you've done enough yourself to have a really good idea of who you are and who your audience is. You, you, there isn't a shortcut to that level of understanding. Yes and no. I I think that the work to understand your ideal client, absolutely, right? That, that has to be you. Um, but, you know, I've worked with businesses where um, they've, with business owners, where they've delegated the marketing function right from the very beginning. Okay. But they've, they've done the work to understand the ideal client. So they might not have done all of their marketing themselves, but they've done all the work to really get under the skin of the ideal client so they can brief their marketing agency, their marketing consultant, their marketing assistant, and make sure that they're fully on board with it all. And what you can't delegate, in my opinion, is the, what's the word, the ultimate control of that marketing. You have to be comfortable with it. You have to sign it off. You have to approve it because when you appoint a marketing agency or a communications agency, you are putting the reputation and the future of your business in somebody else's hands. Mm-hmm. And um, and in my opinion, you want to ensure that you still retain final sign off on all of that because yeah. they're going out in your name. It's going out in your name with your brand for your business. And ultimately, it is your business. It's nobody else's. It's your decision. It's your choice. It's your success. It's your living. Mm-hmm. So you have to be the ultimate arbiter of, yes, that can go out in my, no, that's not going out in, in under our brand. Yeah. So you can get other people involved. to do it for you, but you have to have the understanding of your clients, your understanding of yourself, and it has to be you that makes ultimate decisions. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much. So many great tips. Um, I've done my best to represent what I think would be the questions people would ask, but I feel sure there are there are more. Um, mm. And if people would like to hear more from you or to get involved in one of your programs or get support from you, how can they get in touch with you and how can they find out more about your work? Uh, let me think. I think there's probably three things I would recommend. One mm-hmm. is you could just go into the website, right? So if you if you don't particularly want to interact with me, um, then just go to the website. It's um, actually.world. So www.actually.world. And you can find out pretty much everything that we do is on there. If you go to the website, top right-hand corner of the homepage, there's a button that says take the quiz. So if you want to find out what your marketing superpowers are and start really thinking about how to shape marketing that you're comfortable with that feels authentic for you I would start there 
Um, so that's the first thing. Second thing, also not doesn't involve you having to talk to me or interact with me in any way if you'd rather not. Go and listen to my podcast, which is called the Actually Making a Difference podcast. So you can go to Spotify, Google, Amazon, Apple, anywhere you want to go. Uh, search for Actually Making a Difference and you'll find my podcast there. And they're short. They're like 15 minutes. None mm-hmm. of my episodes are more than 15 minutes. Um, but tips and insights and ideas about improving your business and your marketing. And if you want to be a little bit more interactive and you want to have the opportunity to ask me questions or, you know, see a little bit more about how I what I'm doing on a day to day basis, then come and join our Facebook group, which is also called Actually Making a Difference. So you just go on to Facebook, search for Actually Making a Difference and come and join the group. It's completely free. I am there an awful lot of time every single day. And you can post questions, ask for support, get advice. Um, and and also hang out with a group of people who are also all about making a difference as well as making a living. Yeah, I can certainly confirm that you will find people you uh, who feel like your tribe because of the things they're doing in the world. And a personal request, Sarah, because uh, I failed to complete it last time. If you're running your story telling course again, well, you don't need to tell me I follow your stuff. I'll, I'll be aware if you're doing it, but I hope you are doing it again. We, um, I'm definitely going to be doing that. I did, uh, just for the purposes of your, of your listeners, we did a program. It was a free five day, um, program we did. I did, um, a few months ago called Actually in Wonderland, which was all about telling stories. Um, and we will be doing it again. It may be a paid program next time. Sorry. Um, but it won't be hugely expensive, but it's it was such a wonderful experience. I loved it. And people got so much value from it that I had several people who did it email me and go, you need to turn this into a paid program. I would pay to come and do this again. Mm. It's like, okay, okay. Yeah, there was you did get an awful lot from that week. No, it was amazing. <laughs> it. No, it was really, really good. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. You're so welcome really lovely to chat to you and um what are you doing this weekend what are you going to do now it's friday afternoon you know what it's i am going to have um a very relaxed pottering around weekend oh, i so, love a potter i love a potter we have a really lovely market in the town where i live on a saturday so i'm going there on saturday i'm having coffee with friends at the i live by the sea so i'm having um coffee with friends at the cafe at the end of our pier which is this beautiful, it was um, funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund. It's an amazing cafe. Um, and then on Sunday, I'm actually going to be recording podcasts on Sunday. <laughs> because my neighbours got builders in. So every day of the week and on Saturday, there's building noise. So the only day that I'm going to get a chance to record podcasts without, you know, builders bang, bang, bang. drilling and banging and swearing in the background is going to be on Sunday so I'm going to be recording the rest of September's podcast episodes oh, well happy coffeeing pottering and podcasting thank you very much thank you Sarah take care take care so there you have it an absolute plethora of visibility tips marketing tips communication tips from Sarah there's so much I took away from that and I guess the headline topics for me were keep it personal make sure it works for you stop doing things you really don't want to do you aren't suited to doing that you aren't comfortable with and turn that lens away from yourself and onto the audience make the visibility the audience it's not about us anyway it's not about you all right so 30 episodes down, 
let me know what you think. If you're enjoying You Matter, then please do leave a review. Um, let me know any topics that you would like to be included in the next 30 episodes. And if you are a busy clinician, being all things to everybody all day, every day, then stop, breathe, give yourself a break, because believe it or not, you matter. <laughs>